and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is the podcast. Well, for the last couple of weeks on this podcast, we've been talking a lot about women in leadership and what it means and what it looks like and all those good things. And I think we had our best two episodes yet in the young life of this podcast. I really enjoyed those two. And we want to continue that conversation, but in a different vein. Because many times when I'm reading something online that's talking about, say, the advancement of women, I'm with them up into a very specific point. And so when we talk about equal pay for equal work, I'm like, yes, I'm there. Equal representation, yes, I'm there. Uh, Hold people who commit sexual assault and sexual harassment accountable, yes, boom, all for it. And then it talks about reproductive rights, and that's where I'm not so much Because the term reproductive rights is sort of a euphemism for right to abortion and access to abortion. And unfortunately, in the women's rights movement, this is something that has often been slipped in there, reproductive rights, where there is a a, a right to and access to abortions or, or ability to terminate pregnancies as a form of liberation for women. And that is where I'll start to part ways. Yeah, and I've found it challenging just in normal conversations to obviously be a woman and be for women's rights and have seen some of these things, you know, equal pay, equal representation. Like I've actually seen myself counted against in some of those areas because I was a woman and later found out someone in the exact same position with the exact same title that was a male was making more money than me. So I'm all for women's rights and advocating for those things. But in the Christian realm, I have found even some other Christians who, uh, I guess, look at me a little sideways when they think I have any sort of agenda for women's rights at all because of the issue of abortion. And so really, I find myself not fitting in either camp. I certainly want to be for women's rights and for that movement and for what's happening there um, in certain areas. But then... I don't want to be labeled in that same way because there are definitely certain things on that agenda that I am not for and that particularly being for women's right to choose an abortion. My belief as a Christian goes against that very strongly and it's not just a religious belief. I I genuinely think it's an intrinsic belief in humanity that we should care for life. Yeah, and so this is part of a larger conversation that we're continuing to have on this podcast where oftentimes the world, at least in America, is divided into two categories of those on the left and those on the right. And if you are for the rights of women, if you're for equal representation, if you're for equal pay, if you're for equal respect of women, then it is assumed that you are also for the advancement of reproductive rights, so access to Uh, terminating pregnancies. And we stand on the opposite side of that. And so we really stand in this bizarre political area where we are completely for the advancement of the rights of women, but we're also completely for the preservation of the rights of an unborn child. Yeah. And so if you've been listening to this podcast for, you know, a while, as this is our 13th episode, you'll find that we don't fit into the categories very well as we continue to analyze the world through the lens of Jesus and through the lens of scripture and where is it that we're supposed to sit on on cultural issues and social issues 
it's not as cut and dry as people like to make it. And I don't know if our podcast has made things more complicated because we don't end up in a specific category. But this is just another one of those things where it's a both and kind of a thing because you can be for women's rights and against abortion. And those are both good things, even though you don't fit into a category. Yeah. And so as we explore this topic, we want to do so with a sense of compassion and a sense of care. And we want to be gentle in that. But we do want to take a look at what scripture has to say and how we can kind of tease these separate issues out that often get lumped in together, but are actually separate issues. We want to pull this reproductive rights issue out on its own and analyze it from the perspective of both the mother and the child Mm -hmm. and to look at that from a biblical perspective. But before we get to the biblical part, uh, we want to share personally, and Tamara, you have a story behind your life, I guess, of where (laughs) you very well could have been a terminated pregnancy. Right. So my mom had me at, I think it was 16, my brother at around 15. So she was really young. And I think abortion is a topic for a lot of people that are young. I mean, that's an age where you're looking at your life and thinking, wow, everything I have dreamt of and everything I've wanted is about to be put to a stop because I'm pregnant. And it's true. Life changes dramatically once you have a child. So my mom had wrestled with that. And she had even shared with me at some point when I was a teenager that she had thoughts of having an abortion. And she was actually pressured by my biological father because he was already married with kids. It gets, I mean, it gets really messy and sometimes that's how it goes. But because of that, he had pressured her to have an abortion with me. And obviously I am so grateful that didn't happen because I literally wouldn't exist if that would have been her choice. So this topic is personal in that sense to me. Again, can't even imagine the pressures that she had felt and the thoughts that went through her head as she was contemplating how do I raise a a child at 15, 16 years old. Uh, She certainly had support from her family, but I'm sure that was hard. That was hard for her to bring to her parents that she was pregnant. It was hard for her to even accept the loss of her adolescence, of her years of being a teenager and having to grow up really quickly because you have now two kids. But in some ways, she would have admitted these were choices that she made. And she is grateful that she obviously followed through with both pregnancies and my brother and myself. And so... This topic becomes a bit more personal when my mom could have terminated me and that would have changed everything. Yeah, and your mom's story is a very common story. A a young girl who's 15, 16 years old has gotten pregnant, unplanned, isn't in a position to have a lot of resources to support that child or or those children, Um, didn't grow up in a wealthy family. The father not involved, doesn't want to be involved. Yeah. In situations like that, a a mother can really feel backed up against the wall Mm -hmm. and even can be pressured to say, like, this is the wisest decision you could make would be to terminate this pregnancy. 
Certainly, because you would even have people who would say, you're not going to be a good mom. You can't provide a good life for this child. What kind of a life are you going to be able to give a kid at 15, at 16? You don't have any money. You're going to have to drop out of school. And all of those things ended up being true with my mom. To some degree, she had to drop out of high school. She later went back and got her GED. And I remember sitting in the classes with her while she was completing her courses to get that GED. Uh, And it by no means was an easy road for her or for us. But to say because it's going to be hard, you don't get to live this life is absolutely crazy to me because I've had a tough childhood and probably some of it would have been because my mom got pregnant at such a young age. But would I have traded that for no life at all? Absolutely not. I mean, I still think my life is valuable, even though it was challenging for all of us involved. Yeah. And so we want to have this conversation empathetically and not really from a position of kind of from the ivory tower and even just thinking personally about us. And we have a little one and we have one on the way. And literally Uh, just the other week, we heard the heartbeat for the first time. mm Mm-hmm. I believe that that is a person in there. That is a human that's just like you and me. And while we can't see them yet, we don't know even know if it's a, a boy or a girl, that that is a person that's already created in the image of God. And that's just something that I really feel in my bones. Hmm. Kind of first of all. Yeah. There is a sense in which that just feels true. I remember, this is so silly, but there was a Super Bowl ad I think it was like a Doritos ad where it showed this woman who was pregnant and then she had Doritos and the baby in her womb was like excited. (laughs) And the Hmm. Doritos actually got criticized by pro-choice groups for, Hmm. quote, anthropomorphizing a fetus. Wow. And so there's this sense that even if you don't follow Jesus or you don't believe in God or whatever it is, that's a person in there that there is a human life that's in there and that there's value to that. And to deny that to me seems to run counter to just our natural inclinations. And that is certainly supported by the relevant scriptures that we look at. And there's actually a lot of them. We won't pull every single one where we can see this, but there's a lot of biblical support for this idea that even in the womb, there's a person with a personality and, and with a purpose that, that God has given to them. Mm. And so in the Bible, there's no Bible verse that says, thou shalt not have an abortion. But if we look at the scriptures, it's undeniable that the tenor of scripture is resoundingly pro-life. And so we right. want to take a look at some of those. Certainly key verses that will continue to come up. Uh, on the pro-life side. And so one of those is Jeremiah 1, 5. That says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So here, this is specifically talking to Jeremiah, saying like, I had appointed you to be a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah. And this is the voice of God speaking to him. Right. But we can still understand this idea that God has already known each person before they were even in the womb. And each one of those people, those lives, God has a purpose for. And he knows that purpose and he created them with a purpose. 
So this verse would go to support that each baby in the womb is a life that already had a purpose appointed by God, even before its birth. Right. And we see this not only here in Jeremiah's life, but we also see it in Isaiah's life. In Isaiah 49, it says, Before I was born, the Lord called me, for from my mother's womb he has spoken my name. And in the Galatians 1.15, in the case of the Apostle Paul, it says, When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased, and so on and so forth. So there's this idea that there's a purpose that God has assigned to people before they are even born, and specifically speaking, when they're in their mother's womb. Mm -hmm. And Psalm 139, For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And in the New Testament, we also see that through the life of John the Baptist, where we see specific scriptures about the purpose and plan that God had as John the Baptist was still in his mother's womb. In Luke 1 verse 15, it says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Yeah, and then we actually see that played out when John the Baptist inside Elizabeth's womb comes into contact with Jesus, who is at that time in the womb of Mary. Right. In Luke one forty four says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. That baby is John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so there's this moment where this unborn child is recognizing this other unborn child who is God incarnate. And this was a sign of the fact that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And and to be sure, that's an extraordinary circumstance, but it does illustrate the fact that there is a person with a purpose inside that womb. And we see that not only here, but there's enough times that we see that, Mm -hmm. that it bears taking into account the fact that personhood begins in the womb. Right. And there's one more biblical example worth noting here, just because it seems prophetic and metaphorical. In the ancient Near East, in the Old Testament, that there were these nations that they would sacrifice their babies to this god called Molech. And this is pretty graphic, but they would heat up this stone that was kind of like Molech's hands outstretched. They would heat up that stone, and then they would put their infant child on that stone, and they would be burned to death. And the reason why they did this was because they believed that the god Molech controlled the rain, he controlled the yield of their crops. And so in order for them to get a good yield that year for that harvest, they would sacrifice their infant children— And when Israel took on this practice from the nations that were around it, it was kind of like this last straw that ended up being a part of the reason why God led them into exile in judgment over their sin, that they would sacrifice their own children for the sake of a good crop because they were afraid that if they didn't sacrifice their children, that they wouldn't have enough. They wouldn't be able to provide for the children that they did have. They wouldn't have enough to survive. And so there's something metaphorical there. That even in in ancient times, this was a concern they had, and they were motivated oftentimes by the same things. Whereas on one side, you can say, well, they're motivated by greed, or you can just say they're just motivated by their own survival, and they're afraid that if they allow this child to live and to grow up, that that is going to hamper 
the ability for their family to flourish in the future. And so that seemed really metaphorical to me. And obviously it feels quite different what is happening now and the pro-abortion debate. It seems to be put under this light of we're actually caring for women to allow this and we're caring for the good of their life and we're caring for the flourishment of that woman's life and she should be able to choose that. And yet we look at this practice that happened in ancient Near East and we think, well, that's that's crazy. That's so barbaric of them. But it, it really does have some parallels because the way that you were describing it, really their motivation behind it was for their flourishment and their survival and even for the survival of their current family. And so to sacrifice a baby was what felt like for the good of the family or for the good of even that mom to be able to live the life that she wanted to live. And so there are a lot more similarities, even though it feels less barbaric the way that it has happened now. Yeah, and I'll say this too, that we all have this sense of the humanity of that unborn child, and that bears itself out when we see that women who have had abortions grieve mm. the loss of that child yeah. as, as though it had been born, as though they had they had seen it and had become a, a part of their family, that that's a natural emotion that they feel. And I think uh, another thing that can be illustrated by that example in the Old Testament is that while we have this natural inclination that we know that that is a person— we can get to a place where our back is against the wall and it feels like the best option is to terminate that life. And really the only way to overcome that is through a faith in God. Whereas the reason why mm-hmm. Israel had sacrificed their children is because they didn't believe that God would provide in all the ways that mm-hmm. they needed. And so well, really the, the, the response that the answer to that problem that having your back against the wall, that, that, that Jesus steps in to answer that problem. Mm-hmm. That if there is a faith in him that he will provide that with your mom, that it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always good, but there was always provision for, for these little lives. That was you and your brother that have grown up and now you have your own families and God has extended your mother's legacy now that she's no longer with us through you and your brother, that there is hope through that. But but really apart from a connection with God, that terminating that life might feel like it's your only option. Hmm. And that's so true. It's so true about women who have grieved the loss of their baby through abortion. I know quite a few women who've had abortions and some of them have been Christian. Some of them have been non-Christian. All of them have expressed in some degree that there was emotional healing that they had to go through, that there was a sense of grieving, there was a process that they had to go through. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the pro-choice debate shows it as if there's no connection to what's happening inside of your womb. There's no attachment, there's no connection because it's not a life, but every woman I've ever talked to had to then go to get counseling or go to therapy or go somewhere because the loss of that baby impacted them greatly. Yeah, and not only for those who terminated their pregnancy, but those who had miscarriages, Miscarriages. particularly late-stage miscarriages. Not that it's any less of a life before, but you sense the reality of this 
this person that is within you even before they you birth them. And I do want to make sure that we make this note because this is a difficult topic. And if you are someone who's had an abortion or if you pressured someone to have an abortion, there is still redemption to be had. There is still goodness to come because that's what Jesus offers. Like his blood covers every sin out there. It covers every wrongdoing, every fault out there. And that includes abortion. And so by no means are we hoping this podcast would send guilt or condemnation because that is not of Jesus. Guilt and condemnation are not of Christ. And so we hope you hear that if you are someone who has struggled with this or has been part of an abortion. Right, and so we do want to point you to the good news of Jesus that yeah. that his blood covers a multitude of sins, including this. And if you are someone who's had an abortion or who has pressured someone to have an abortion, and you know that you've received forgiveness for that in Jesus, but there's a lot of pain associated mm. with that. There's, you know, there's regret, there's a great deal of suffering that you've you've gone through because of that. Yeah. I'm sure that those people in that position listening to this would agree with us that that we want to urge people as strongly as we can to not think of this as an option so as to preserve that life that's within them and also to spare them from that suffering that mm. inevitably comes because the promise that you're given in a pro-choice mindset is the promise of freedom. Mm. It's a promise of flourishing it's a promise of of not having a burden that you didn't want to take on but in fact it's a chain in in many ways enslaves you and you have to work very hard and accept the grace of jesus to break that chain and to offload that burden that brings no joy yeah and that really goes back to the tactics of the enemy anyways where he tries to sell you a lie And tell you that it's even better than what God has for you. I mean, that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He sold them a lie and basically told them like, you can have even more than what God's given you. And it's the same lie that he's pushing to our society now. And he's pushing to women and he's even pushing to families. Is that taking the route of an abortion is the better option. It's the wisest. And he's selling a lie. He's selling a lie to our culture and to our society. And he's been selling this lie for a long time. Abortions are not anything new. The legalization of them is fairly new in society for us in America. But the idea of it and the lie of it and the sell of it is not anything new. Right. And it's it's leaving disaster in its wake right because not only is a life lost but there's a grieving process and a mourning process and so much hurt and pain that results from that life being lost right and just great suffering that I think some women I've talked to have tried to mask it because they they thought this was the better option, but then they don't feel that way once it happens. They feel the complete opposite and they can't explain why and they can't figure it out. And, and there's even this regret to talk about it because to say you made the wrong choice in this area has a little bit more weight, actually, has quite a bit more weight than to say you made the wrong choice, you know, with a career or with a house. Like those are all trivial in comparisons to the choice you're making 
when it comes to aborting a pregnancy. Yeah, and so we say none of this to condemn or to make you feel worse, um, but but only to speak of this reality and to counter the lies that the enemy wants us to believe and and to really to point to a different way of thinking that really takes all of these things into account and seeks to preserve that life really at all costs. Right. And I think regarding this topic, there are just so many issues when it comes to making the case of whether or not a fetus is a life and at what point is that baby a life? You know, is it at the point of conception? Is it after the first trimester? Is it once you hear the heartbeat? Like, when is this baby a life? I mean, I would say at the point of conception. Yeah. Because really, and we can kind of think about this philosophically, at what point is there this natural biological transition from where it becomes not a life to a life? Really, at the point of conception, there was not a life there, and then... You know, the sperm and the egg get together and there is a life that once it's implanted, it is it is a life that begins growing and it just continues to grow until it's born as a baby. And so really, if you believe the baby is a person once they exit the womb and you just backtrack it to its natural point of transition, that natural point of transition was at conception. And so that baby is a life and that life is a person. I believe, at the point of conception. Yeah. And the issue you run into if trying to set a starting life point that's anything other than conception is who draws that line in at what point? Because your baby is still developing even after birth. As you birth them out, you know, exited the womb into the world, they're still not capable of caring for themselves. You need to feed them. You need to change them. You need to make sure they're warm. Like they can't, they can't do anything. They can't even regulate their own temperature yet. And so there's so many things that you still have to care for them. And so then as you're trying to find the line of where is it a life, what criteria are you basing that on? And if you're basing that on, you know, they can care for themselves and they're really not a life until much later. Yeah, until like 18 years <laughs> later. Like if you're, if you're yeah. basing it on viability, then they yeah. don't become a person until they go to college. Yeah. And so that's the hard part about people who want to argue, you know, it's based on viability or I mean, I've heard it even now it's can it exist outside of the womb? Now it's a life. And we can now have a baby exist outside of the womb far earlier because of technology. Yeah. So you're moving the starting line. You're continuing to move that starting line. And really what that reveals is that the starting line is is conception. Well, that, that these other... Oh, yes. Like, if it's a heartbeat, if it is right. liability, is it when the baby has fingerprints, you know? Right. Th- that these are all arbitrary. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's nothing biological about the transition point there. And so really what we're defining personhood on is wantedness. Mm. Is that if you don't want it, it's not a person. Yep. But if you do want it, it is a person. And I mean, case in point of this is a heinous example. I'm so sorry. But say the famous murder of Lacey Peterson, who was murdered when she was like eight months pregnant mm-hmm. or something like that. And her husband, Scott Peterson, got charged with a double homicide. Right. And so the courts even said that there were two people involved mm-hmm. that both were murdered. What's crazy about that is that Lacey Peterson could have been on her way to Planned Parenthood to terminate that pregnancy. And if she got murdered on the way, it's a double homicide. But if she was 
would have made it all the way to the Planned Parenthood and terminated that pregnancy, then that's reproductive rights. Right. And so personhood, in that case, is defined by whether or not you are wanted. And that's horrifying. Yeah. As horrific as your example is, it actually... And I'm so I'm so sorry, like, it, should I give you like a trigger warning on that one? Because that's, that's heinous. But, you know, those are the realities in, in which we're dealing right now. Right. Because we are pregnant with our second baby. And I do say we, obviously, you're not, I am. But we are pregnant with our second baby. And certainly, if I had a miscarriage today, it would be absolutely devastating. But going back to your case in point, personhood is, is defined by whether or not the baby is wanted. So right now, if I were to have a miscarriage, we would be wrecked. It would destroy us. Right, because we want the baby. Because we want the baby. And we know that's a person growing inside of me. But I could equally go over to Planned Parenthood and have an abortion. And someone would say, well, it was just a fetus. I think the issue of defining these terms is to help us emotionally disconnect from the choice that is being made. And there's such cognitive dissonance when you think of it in those terms. Yeah. It's absurd. Because if I were thinking, oh, it's just a fetus and I had a miscarriage, it's just a fetus. But if I'm thinking it's a baby and I had a miscarriage, like we're destroyed. And so to just find these ways of labeling things in many ways is is a tactic to help you disengage with the decision that's happening emotionally. And even in some ways is to help people feel a little bit less guilty over it. And and it also then can make it more legal. Right. And right now we're speaking in terms of uh, legislature. And this podcast isn't necessarily about that. It's more about just the philosophical, moral, theological issue yeah. of this. But but yeah, there's de- there's definitely places where it is allowable and it is normalized for that to happen. And I just think it's so tragic that you think about we don't use that logic in, in you know life of someone who is outside the womb that right. if they're not wanted, then they're not a person. I mean, if you use that, I mean, is that, isn't that so like heartbreaking? Right. That if Absolutely. I was not wanted, that I would not be a person. Then based on that information, your life could be terminated. And so that's really the, the cold, dark world mm. of reproductive rights yeah that it's really a different picture than this agent of liberation right it's really just an agent of destruction Mm -hmm. masquerading as an agent of liberation well and that's what i was going to say it goes back to the lies the enemy is selling us and he's having us believe that there's freedom and there's liberation in pro-choice yeah and it's you know it's just as routine as getting your wisdom teeth pulled you know right and it's not. It's just no, not. No, it's not. And I am not in support of the people who like to use the tactic of, you know, graphic images of an aborted baby as a, a reason why you need to be pro-life and not pro-choice. I don't. Yeah, that's just gross and it's heinous and it, it's disrespectful to that, that human life. Right. If you say you're valuing human life, don't put their, their dead body up on display. Exactly understanding that this life is an actual baby and that's what the people who are using the images are trying to make very clear and very black and white like look at this how can you say this is not a life that's what they're trying to convey and that's the argument that they're trying to make it to where you cannot question it again I don't agree with those tactics of trying to help a woman decide but those those pictures and and watching some of those things are 
helpful if you're really trying to wrestle with whether or not it's a life. What would you say in the case of, and these are extreme cases, and again, this is, sorry, graphic. In the case of a woman who was raped and now she has an unwanted pregnancy. That's always the difficult one that I think pro-choice people will put out there. And to put it in perspective, it's a very small percentage. It's like one or two percent of abortions are actually from rape or incest. And so not to say we don't need to discuss the question because it's a small percentage because there might be somebody out there who's dealing with that. But that is still a life regardless of how it came into existence. And that is an absolutely tragic, devastating for the mom, for the person carrying the baby. I don't even want to begin to say that I can understand that, understand the emotions behind that and the pain behind it. But as we're talking about a life and whether or not it's morally acceptable or it's even biblically acceptable as a, as a follower of Jesus to terminate that life, I would say the answer is no. And the reason why is because the value of that life is not determined based on its parents and how it came about. The way that I came about... I mean, really, is statutory rape. Yeah, my, my mom was 15 and my biological father was 30 and he was married with kids already and that is not a story I am proud of that is not something that I would go around sharing I guess I'm sharing it with everyone now welcome to the drama of my life but if we're trying to say that the the value of a life is based on how it was conceived then certainly I would say that my life would be worth less because of the way that I was conceived and so again that feels very personal to me um, to go back and think about the struggles of the way that someone was conceived. But even in rape or incest, I would say that life still has value and that life still deserves to live. Yeah, and even as we were preparing for this podcast, as kind of a thought experiment, um, not wanting to be unempathetic, I just, in my mind, was thinking like, what, what would be going through my mind to say if, you know, heaven forbid someone assaulted you and you ended up with an mm. unplanned pregnancy as a result of that, you know, anger, rage, certainly hurt, confusion. Um, just, I can't imagine if you are a woman in that position or if you're married to a woman in that position mm. that just the, the gravity of that. But even with that, I would still 100% want us to keep that child in, and raise that child and yeah. you know and then there's there's other options you can put the child up for adoption but and it's not to say that that's an easy thing and again it's the one to two percent right. but for those one to two percent it doesn't matter what percentile you're in that's a real situation certainly and so yeah we don't want to be unempathetic in that but but really if we change our answer based on how difficult it is then we we kind of end up on that slippery slope that's true yeah. So what would you say to a mother currently wrestling with this question on whether or not they might terminate a pregnancy? I think I would certainly want to listen and hear them because any woman who is sitting in that situation 
there are so many other difficult things they're sitting in as well. If they're at the point where they have to make this choice of whether or not they're keeping, you know, going full term with their pregnancy, there are a lot of other difficult choices they're having to make too. And I would want to be empathetic of that. And unfortunately, I think a lot of pro-life people are not. And I think a lot of pro-life people just say, it's a life, you need to have the life, like it's simple. Why are you making it so complicated and why are you being selfish? But I don't think that's what Jesus would say if he was sitting there talking to someone wrestling with having their baby or not. And so certainly I would want to listen and be empathetic, but I know the promises of Jesus and that he truly does work all things for good for those who love him. And I wouldn't make any promises that it's going to be easy and that there won't be sacrifice involved. I think regardless of what your stage of parenthood is, there's always a level of sacrifice. Even when you want the baby, there are sacrifices you have to make as a parent. But God will be with you and Jesus will continue to equip you for those things. I've seen it firsthand with my mom a 15-year-old who, in many ways, I saw her grow up with us. And I'm grateful for the mom that I had and, and the way that Jesus worked in her life to parent us. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a different mom. Even with all the situations, I wouldn't want a different mom. And so someone who's wrestling with it, know that as hard as the decision might be for you to keep the baby, and there might be so many unknowns involved with that, with family, with finances, with your own future, the one you can rely on to see you through in every single one of those situations, every single one of those circumstances is going to be Jesus. And he is going to honor you in the decision you make to keep that life. And you will even be surprised at the way he blesses you through keeping that life. Well, this has been a pretty crazy conversation. And we imagine that it's stirred up a lot of emotions, um, and a lot of thoughts, maybe questions. So we'd love to hear from you if you have questions. If you're someone who has gone through the experience of an abortion, we just want you to know Jesus loves you. Yeah. But there's redemption that can come through your experience. If you're someone who's currently contemplating that, we want you to know that Jesus loves you hmm. and that he can bring redemption through your pregnancy. And yeah, we just want you to know that we love you too and that we, we wish the best for you and we hope that this conversation in some way has been helpful yeah. to you. And that it has been grace-filled and encouraging to you. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised to us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. I'm Billy Yancey, entrepreneur, fitness cowboy, father, retired Navy cornerback, and now podcast host. Listen to my new show, Billy and the Goat, on Life Audio. Happy listening.